Foo Fighters, who I refer quite to, to quite often, uh, wrote, a, wrote a song once called Hero. And they, uh, and they a couple of, there's six, six words that always get me. There goes my hero, he's ordinary. He's ordinary. That's what our series is about. Ordinary people whose lives are transformed by God and they get changed forever and their lives turn into what can I do for God? Okay. Um, we, we talked recently about the difference between belief that God exists versus belief in a God. Um, and today's a step further. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, is a guy, uh, a man who fascinates me because he lives out this belief in, in a tangible and practical sort of way. Um, he, he, this guy fascinates me. Um, if I ever was going to write a thesis, which I am not, um, although I've made a career out of telling God what I won't do for him, and, and it's a, I'll, stop, I'll stop there. Um, I'm not going to write a thesis. Um, it, but it would be about him, because he lived out what he said that he believed. Um, he, the, the book uh, I read last year, 600-odd pages, was, uh, it called him a, pro- a pastor, a prophet, a martyr, and a, and a spy. Now, some of you just heard the word pastor, and you thought, oh, good, if, you can only be spiritual if you're a pastor, or you can only do, only do something for God if you're a pastor. And I want to tell you that's rubbish, absolute garbage, okay? If you hear nothing else, hear this. God invites all of us, whoever we are, wherever we are, how old we are, whatever we've done, wherever, we, wherever we're going, to be ordinary people in service of an extraordinary God. Yeah? Um, Toza, Toza said up on the screen uh, just here, we can be in our day what the heroes of the faith were in theirs. But remember, they didn't know they were going to be heroes. Okay? They didn't know they were going to be heroes. They're just ordinary people living their lives, but yet they're serving an extraordinary God. Um, now, rather than preach about Bonhoeffer, um, which I could quite easily do and, and just bore, the, bore you, um, we're actually going to watch a, watch a documentary. That's, this has never been done in a church before, watch a documentary. Um, but we're going to try. This is, actually, this is actually only made last year. Um, I, I, think, I think it gives a far more uh, compelling idea as to who this guy is and what he did and why. So um, we'll watch that now. These are the Zeppelin fields in Nuremberg. Between 1933 and 1938, the Nazi party held six enormous rallies here, drumming up mass hysteria with their promise to restore German pride. This was where Adolf Hitler proclaimed his vision for the Third Reich. And what was the Christian church doing in response to the unfolding madness? Shamefully, not much.
both Catholic and Protestant leaders played into the hands of the Nazis. In fact, many were enthusiastic supporters, literally waving the flag. The story of the church under Nazism is one of comprehensive failure. Church leaders clearly wanted a place at the table in Hitler's Germany, and they fell over themselves trying to align their faith with the party program. In the words of one prominent German pastor, Christ has come to us through Adolf Hitler. We have only one task, to be German, not to be Christian. It says it all, really. The German church's complicity with Nazism is just one glaring example of what happens when the church cozies up to power at the cost of its core beliefs. The church's capitulation to Nazism is in stark contrast to those who, because of their Christian convictions, stood up to the regime. They stand out because they were rare. Normal believers playing in tune with Jesus' original teaching with beautiful and tragic resonance. A minority of German pastors and some lay people form what is called the Confessing Church. And they confess that Jesus is Lord, not the Führer, because remember, that's what it means in German. Uh, Jesus is Führer, not Adolf Hitler. And they form this uh, righteous minority uh, of those who are saying, we will not go along with the National Socialist agenda of bringing all institutions under the power of the state and particularly of the leader. The story of one of those opponents ended here at Flossenburg concentration camp. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was 39 years old, he was engaged to be married and had a brilliant career ahead of him. But just two weeks before the Americans liberated this place, in an act of cynical cruelty, the Nazi leaders ordered his execution. Bonhoeffer was a bespectacled, aristocratic church pastor and theologian. He makes for a very unlikely opponent of Nazism and an even more unlikely conspirator in a plot to kill Hitler. He's a genius. He's a theological genius. Um, so you'd expect him to be kind of an egghead. But he understood no matter what we say we believe, if we don't act on it. In other words, if I don't put my money where my mouth is when others are suffering, then clearly I don't actually believe these things. As early as 1933, Long before most people had an inkling of where things were headed, Bonhoeffer wrote about the church's obligation to come to the aid of Jewish people in the face of a tyrannical government. Like all Christians everywhere, he believed that we need to bind up those who have been crushed by the wheel of the powerful rolling over them, as he famously put it. But he said something that really made him quite different than most of the Lutherans of his day who were taught to be compliant with church authority and with state authority. And he said, sometimes you have to take a spoke, a stick, and stick it in the wheel. As if you can imagine a bicycle moving along, you've got to stick a spoke and stop the wheel from crushing people. And that uh, was seditious. I mean, that's literally saying you've got to rise up against uh, the established authorities and make them stop what they're doing. His famous spoke-in-the-wheel comment was an expression of Bonhoeffer's commitment to loving your neighbour. 
this would eventually place him squarely in opposition to the state that, in his mind, had given up its right to rule. For him, faith was personal, but it couldn't remain private. Refusing to get involved represented complicity in the sins of the oppressor. Mere waiting and looking is not Christian behaviour, wrote Bonhoeffer. Christians are called to sympathy and action. At the height of German military success in 1940, as church bells rang in celebration at the fall of France, he wrote of the church's failure to suffer for what is right. The church has witnessed the lawless application of brutal force. The spiritual and physical suffering of countless people. Oppression, hatred and murder and has not found ways to hasten to their aid. The church is the church only when it exists for others. On the 5th of April 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested and later connected with the conspirators who tried to assassinate Hitler. He ended up here at Flossenburg concentration camp near Germany's border with Czechoslovakia. Bonhoeffer wrote, when Jesus calls us, he bids us to come and die. Sacrifice, service, affinity with the victims, courage, and above all, humility. This was Bonhoeffer's faith. He clearly believed that there's eternal significance to all that we do. And that belief shaped his responses to the chaos around him. As Nazi Germany was crumbling, and just three weeks before Hitler put a bullet in his own brain, Bonhoeffer was condemned to death. At dawn on April 9th, 1945, he was led out here to where the gallows stood and hanged along with his fellow conspirators. His last reported words were, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. We are left to wonder what might have happened in Germany if more of those who claimed to follow a crucified Messiah had risked their lives to stand up to power. It's pretty blunt, isn't it? Um, it's pretty sobering listening to some of those words. That, that's actually a couple of minutes from a documentary called For the Love of God. Um, it's about the, the good and the not-so-good history of the Christian church. Um, it's a pretty a pretty balanced, uh, balanced thing. But what you see over and over again is that when the Christian church or Christians in general follow Jesus in surrender and obedience, it changes the world. But when they get it wrong, man, it's a disaster. Okay? Um, the, the Nazis started out probably for um, probably the right ideas. There, 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 was, there, was, there was some sort of, you know, they're, they're promising to do, to do something, and everyone's okay with this. But it didn't take long until, the, I suppose, the truth of what they were trying to... Um, the complete social upheaval of what they were advocating for became apparent. And many in the church, shamefully, who have an, a mandate from God to love him and to love others, decided that following Hitler was easier than following Jesus. Now... Bonhoeffer, I think, was one of those guys who understood 
the issues probably many years before, the, before everyone else did, but he, but he went further and said that his faith wasn't worth anything if he didn't live out what he said he believed. Um, and this is, this is one of Bonhoeffer's favourite passages in the Bible. I think it tells us a lot about his thinking and, and what sort of person um, he is. This is uh, the calling of the disciples in Matthew 4. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You know, um, I think you probably heard it in that video. I think it'll come up on the screen here. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Man alive. I think, I think everything that Bonhoeffer wrote is like one of those little sort of Facebook-worthy sort of quotes you could just think, just really, like, the depth of what he, of what he, what he got clearly is, um, is amazing. And it's so, it's so, it's so countercultural. If, if I was going to come to you today and put you in charge of a job interview process for your workplace or whatever else, you'd be like, right, who's, who's the best applicant? What skills and abilities do they have that make them the right person for this job, right? What does Jesus do? Jesus says he doesn't care if your background is in catering or in fishing or in PR. He doesn't need your help for that. What Jesus is saying is leave the old skills, the old preconceived ideas, the old values that maybe even have formed part of your identity and come Follow me simply is an invitation to come and do what I do. All the other stuff that you, that you have, that you, that you think makes up who you are, goes away when Jesus says, come and follow me. Um, surrender is not natural to us. Never has been. It never will be. Okay? Um, Bonhoeffer had these challenges, I think, as well. He, he was a... He was a uh, a genius. He spent his life, um, you know, with with preconceived ideas. Travelling to, to the US, travelling to Europe, meeting with influential people, um, you know, lecturing, writing, pursuing or pursuing all his own career. But what you read over and over again is when he comes home, and he's impacted by what he sees um, in his own nation. He's he's in a he's in a well-educated family who understand, um, they actually have Jewish people in their family. So they understand the threat and they understand what's going on. And he, he understands that he has to be Jesus' hands and feet. He's got no other option. Um, su- surrender sounds really extreme to us, doesn't it? But you know what? I think, I think Graham's probably showed us this morning just a great example of what one step of surrender and obedience is, isn't he? Thanks, buddy. Because you know what? In baptism, he is laying down the old. He's getting rid of the old and saying, 
all that stuff that, that has made up all of, all of what I've thought is gone. And I'm, I've decided to begin something new. That's the new life that Jesus is talking about. And the reason he does it, the reason he does it, is because Jesus lives in here. Jesus lives in me. Um, this is another, another Bonhoeffer's, Bonhoeffer's favourites in Galatians 2. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. People get to see more of us. See, people usually get to see more of us. They actually need to see more of Jesus. Christ lives in me. I give this in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Um, Bonhoeffer has a lot to say about that last sentence. And he understood that as a, that as a recipient of God's grace, that he had an obligation to make his faith public. He had an obligation to, to get his hands dirty. Um, so he began finding, I suppose, creative ways to get involved, let's say. Um, he actually became an informant for the German government. This is the, the German government that, that's doing all the wrong things. That's how he got involved in the plot. To, um, it's a long story. But essentially, he, got, he, he was in that place as an informant because he understood how things were working and he understood he could use all those connections to... Uh, to um, get, the, get the outside community involved to put pressure on, on Hitler. He was able to, to basically use all those connections that he had to smuggle Jewish people out of Germany at the height of thing. So everything he did was about getting his hands dirty. He, um, he, he found creative ways to, to recruit Christian families who would look after Jews, look after people who were disabled or anything like, anything like that. Um, he, he got involved in the Confessing Church. There was a Bible college. And in that Bible college, he just kept preaching about Jesus. He just kept preaching about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus and all this sort of stuff and the cost of being a disciple. That's all he taught. And he kept preaching that Jesus was Lord, not Hitler, until, the, until they, they shut him down. And I think there's something to be said in there about what we get annoyed about and, and how we respond and I think, I think Bonhoeffer, did, he got involved because he realised this. Germany did not need a short-term political saviour. They didn't need a short-term political hero. They needed a saviour. They didn't need a short-term um, hero with a short-term kingdom. They needed an eternal saviour with an eternal kingdom. They didn't need a short-term hero with a, with, a, with a plan to save people in the here and now. They needed a long-term saviour who would save them today and every day forever. Our nation does not and will not ever need a political hero. It needs a saviour. Okay? Um, there, there are a thousand things I could talk about with, with this guy's life, but I think it's really simple to call, to call it this. The core, the core of Christian faith, I think, is two things. It's about surrender and it's about obedience.
um, in really, really simple terms. Imagine a scenario, and I've made this, up, made this one up, all right? Um, and it comes, comes from my police thing. Imagine you've got a, got a bad guy. He runs into a bank. He goes and does an armed robbery. He runs into a bank, pulls out the gun, starts threatening the lady behind the... Lady, man, whatever it is, behind the counter. Give me money. Give me whatever, whatever will make me happy. Whatever, whatever will make me happy. And he sits there and he makes threats and he yells and he screams and carries, carries on, whatever else. Let's off a couple of rounds in the, in, the, in the ceiling, whatever. And as he gets that bag of money and he runs out the door, he finds that, the, that the, he's surrounded. Somebody's obviously put the, you know, the old silent alarm, alarm on. And you get one of those things in the movies where you walk out the door and there's just, you know, there's police everywhere, guns drawn, there's, 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 nowhere, to, there's nowhere to go. He has three options, at least, at least in, my, in my modern thinking. He has three options. The first one is he can run back inside, try to maybe, maybe stave off, the, stave off the, the inevitable. But the reality is he's surrounded, he's got nowhere to go. There's only one way out, and that's, that's all there is to it. Okay. He, can, he can buy himself some time. Option two is he can raise his gun and try to shoot his way out. Okay. Messy, but not going to end well for him either. Um, the the third, third option, I think you would agree, is the far more reasonable one. Surrender. Drop the gun, drop your act, Put your hands up. You're done. There's, there's, there's no way out. Okay? Bonhoeffer came to that place where, where he understood that... He understood God's grace. God's, God's grace was that, was that, was that, was that he, like, like me, like you, was that bank robber. He was that man who, because of our sin and our rebellion is in the wrong place before God. And, you know, pe- people who, who do armed robberies, they don't, they don't get out of prison. I've been a lot, a, lot, a, lot of those, uh, a lot of those media scrums out the front of the courthouse when somebody famous gets locked up. Um, and uh, there's, you know... Can you just, can you just imagine, imagine, the, imagine the moment where, where you're released and they're like, why are you released? Why did you get out because you did this? And there's something silly like going on. You, you've basically almost got to say, I mean, the, the reality of what Bonhoeffer got to was that Jesus walked into that courtroom, he took my place, and I walked free. It's the, it's the great exchange. It's the, it's the understanding of, of God's grace. You walk out of that courtroom free. But something about your life changes in that minute. Because it can, it can just go, cool, that's, I'm free. Who's, who, who, let's see what I can do, what I can do, to, do tomorrow. Bonhoeffer understood that this grace that God gives us requires us to live differently the next day and the day after, the day after, and the day after. Um, we, we struggle with surrender because we live in a world where the highest conceivable authority on every issue we like is me, right? That's, that's the world we live in. Um, but here's, here's, here's my quote for the day, church. If we want to be, 
If we're called to be ordinary people serving an extraordinary God, then we've got to be okay letting him be extraordinary and we've got to be okay in surrender and obedience. That, that's what it's about. That's the place you've got to come to because you understand that God's grace has a demand on your life. Um, when it comes to being a... To, I'll just say this. Surrender needs to be one of, one of those things we, we just do once. It's a continual thing we do every day, all the time. And it might, it might sound blasé, but the reality is we, we do it for, for this reason. We do it so people see more of Jesus and less of me. That's, that's what people need more than anything. We can, we can point them to us all we like, but if they don't meet Jesus, nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. Um, when it comes to being obedient, I think sometimes we think sometimes it, it means something that, it's, that it doesn't. Okay? A couple of weeks ago uh, at our place, uh, we, we took dinner downstairs in, in front of the TV one night. Amanda was dishing out dinner for, dinner for our family, um, episode of something on the TV. At some point, she turns to Ryan and says, Hey, Ryan, go back upstairs and get me a pair of tongs. Uh, this is what my son did. Uh, it's coming, I think. Um, I'll wait for the laugh when it does, when it does arrive. <laughs> it's all right. Anyway, so, so, so Ryan, Ryan essentially um, uh, comes back with a pair of thongs in his hand. <laughs> so I had, this, I had this dodgy photo of him just doing the whole... What? Sort of, sort of thing. And now look, Ryan's, Ryan's an awesome kid, but he, we asked him to get tongs, he, he got thongs. Yeah, so that's, that's all right. Um, us, us boys do have selective hearing, just, just as long as you know. Um, but look, Ryan, Ryan's an awesome kid, okay? But in fairness, his ears were blocked, so he probably gets a pass for that one, okay? But, but I wonder how many times we as Christians, we get the same, um, we, we as Jesus followers... Hear something that is, hear something and settle, settle for something that doesn't cost us anything. Okay? And I think um, it's the difference between cheap grace and costly grace, which is what God talks, which is what Bonhoeffer spends a lot of his time talking about. See, um, when Bonhoeffer references these words, he says, when, 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 he, when he references, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. What, he, what he's talking about is the difference between a grace that doesn't cost us anything versus a grace that costs us something. Okay? And that's what the Christian life's about. Okay? Um, cheap grace would be, just, just for argument's sake, settling, at, um, settling for Ephesians 1 to 3. I think there's a table I've done. I, I hope it'll work. On on one side, there's a list there of all the things in Ephesians one to three that God has, that Jesus has done for us. Okay, we've been saved, chosen, redeemed. That whole big list. Okay, that whole big list of stuff, and we can and we can celebrate all those things. We can come to church on a Sunday and go, "Isn't it great what Jesus has done for me?" But nothing in our life ever changes. Okay. 
Whereas costly grace means we understand what Jesus has done for us and we put it into practice in spending our life living out being the hands and feet of Jesus in Ephesians 4 to 6, which is in our church, in our unity, in our workplace, in our community, our relationships, our families, our husbands and wives and all that sort of stuff. Okay? Costly grace means being Jesus' hands and feet in your church. Church? It means being Jesus' hands and feet in your workplace. It means being Jesus' hands and feet in your home. It means being Jesus' hands and feet to your wife or your husband, to your kids. It means being Jesus' hands and feet to the people that God puts in your place of work or or just in walking from the train to work or, or whatever that case may be. It's God's grace costs me something and I've got to actually live it otherwise it's a waste of time. Um, it means probably even using their resources to, to support organisations that exist to give, to be Jesus' hands and feet to people. Okay? But not to avoid doing it ourselves because that's exactly what God calls us to do. I think, I think Bonhoeffer's great legacy, if I can explain this right, is simply the concept that our faith is not worth anything if we don't live out what we say we believe. So, how are you going to be Jesus' hands and feet? Is there one area of your life today where God is asking you to do more that you don't currently do? Be honest with him. It's okay. And church, what's our, what's our next step? What's our next step in being obedient to where Jesus might call us to go, even though it might be scary, it might be into uncharted territory, or it might be outside of our comfort zone? Do we believe that our God is big enough to do that, and are we willing enough to be obedient to do it? I'm going to ask the band to come up and play um, just for a minute. We're going to, we're going to um, finish by I just doing something a little bit, you know, a little bit crazy. Um, just having a moment of quiet. We, um, we live in a world where quiet does not happen too, too easily. Okay, And I just want you to have some, a little bit of time to talk to God by yourself, to surrender afresh. Okay? So I'm going to ask that we, that we, for about a minute, while the band play really quietly, just surrender afresh. Okay? If you've never met Jesus before, I want you to pray that... Um, I want to ask you to pray that prayer of surrender. Okay? And I, Nathan always says, ABC. Admit who you are Admit your need before him. B, believe that Jesus has done what he promised, what he said he would do. And C, commit your life to him. You know, church, some of us are still sitting in the courthouse having seen what Jesus has done for us, but have never actually walked out outside. We've never actually put into practice what we say we believe.
We've never actually decided to come out today and say, I'm going to live for Jesus rather than myself. I just want to ask you in a moment of quiet, what would God ask you to do this morning? What is my next step in following Jesus? And in a minute I'll, I'll pray. What's Jesus calling you to do that only you can do that nobody else can do for you? ask you this morning if God is asking you to do something that seems crazy that seems unreasonable don't turn him down it could be just start you know deciding to come and get baptized one day become a member of the church do, do something that that says I'm with Jesus Don't turn him down. Can I ask you to go a step further? While you're, while you're sitting here this morning, um, you've got a connections card in front of you. If God's asked you to do something, write it down. Don't turn him down. Write it, write it down. If it's something that, um, that seems unreasonable or way out of, or way out of touch, um, have a coffee with a friend this week and talk through it or talk to one of your prayer team one of your pastors after church this morning. But don't put off what God is asking you to do. Let's pray. God, we don't want to treat, we never want to treat the grace of God as meaningless. And God, we understand that, 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 this, that this faith we say that we have can be so easily insular rather than outward. It's so easy to, to, to be so content with all the things that are happening inside us. Whereas you, wanna, you want us to live out all those things in the way that we forgive and love and serve and bless the people you put around us. So God, would you help us do that? Would you help us to be people who get our hands dirty, who put our money in our, where our mouth is? who is serious about following you rather than following whatever else. Amen. We're going to sing together.